0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a fifteen hundred dollars first bet offer on your first wager. Would
1: you like to become the headline sponsor of the biggest Manchester United podcast in the world? Would you like to be front and center on Talk of the Devils alongside Andy, Carl, Laurie, and Ian? Would you? Like to reach hundreds of thousands of highly engaged United fans every week? Eh, of course you would. Well, your brand can advertise with us now. Our skilled and charming commercial team are waiting to hear from
2: you. Contact partnerships at theathletic.com. That's partnerships
3: at theathletic.com.
1: The Athletic.
3: This is Talk of the Devils, the athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. We're going to react to that West Ham Cup win. We'll also preview the game against Liverpool this weekend as well. But before we get into any of that, we just wanted to start this episode by saying a huge thank you to every single one of you for your messages over the course of the last week or so. And also just for listening and being a part of Talk of the Devils up to this point as well. It's been a brilliant week for Manchester United, no doubt. But it's also been a brilliant week for the podcast too and we really, really appreciate it. So from myself, Andy, Carl, Laurie, and producer Ollie too, he deserves his fair share of the love. Thank you. And spread the word. Tell your friends. Get them listening to Talk of the Devils. Let's keep pushing. Right, Andy Mittens with us. Carl Anker's with us. And gentlemen, the last time I saw you, you were walking off into the darkness at Wembley, heading for the fabled Mama Shelter. How was it?
2: We weren't both heading to the Mamma Shelter. <laughs>
3: we walked off. We got
2: on a tube at Wembley Park. And Carl and I were the only Manchester United fans on the tube. It was full of Geordies. And I heard behind me, Whoa man, look at them shoes. Where was the guy from? Just outside Newcastle, actually. That's why there's a slight tinge on the accent. They were looking at Carl's shoes like it was the Angel of the North or that lighthouse in Tynemouth at the the edge of the river time. Carl and I both spoke to Geordies right the way into central London. I've got to say, they were absolutely sound, the people I spoke to. Really switched on football fans. Did they
3: like your shoes?
2: I, I did look round when we got off near Liverpool Street, where Carl knew off off the station staff. And there was just this Geordie who probably had taken a couple of beers and he was just looking at Carl's socks. And he, his brain was like trying to take it in. I don't know what you felt, Carl. I thought they were sound. They were really switched on football fans. They follow the team. I really enjoyed talking to them. Absolutely. So Andy
1: gets on and has a word with a couple of Newcastle fans, just wanting a bit of, you know, and he's a great journalist and it's always good to get a bit of colour from football fans after a cup final for, for whatever pieces you want to do. He's having a chat with three of them. I get cornered by two lads who are uh, dazzled by my shoes <laughs> uh, and then they're very much like, why are you dressed as a suit? Are you a boxing promoter? Who do you fancy in Tommy Fury versus your man, Jake Paul? Uh, and then I go, oh, you know, I'm a football journalist from The Athletic. And they're like, oh, I love The Athletic. It's boom, 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 boom. George Culkin's amazing. Chris Wolf's amazing as well. And yeah, just had a really good chat about football and what it's like to have your football team go back to Wembley after a little bit of a pause. Okay, a bit longer of a pause if you're a Newcastle fan. But yeah, they were in, they were in fine spirits even after that the result for Newcastle. uh, And they had uh, many a plan as to what Newcastle should do in the transfer window and fix things. And um, they were very, very, very keen on stressing that they believe Bruno Gimash is better than uh, Bruno Fernandes, to which I could only raise an eyebrow and go, all right then, if you say so.
3: Got to prove it in a cup final for that, to be honest. Um, Andy, you sidestepped the question about the Mama Shelter quite expertly uh, there. So let's go back to it. A lot of people message to see how your night went was it as cool as you thought carl and i said goodbye at liverpool
2: street and i got another little train into shoreditch which was also full of geordies and they were arguing about how much the flats they could see out the window of the train cost i felt like i was in an episode of sid the sexist you know the cartoon stripping Viz going why man 800 grand nah million nah didn't you nah So I get to the hotel and I I walk in and it's been a long, long day. And it was interesting, as I said, got voted one of Britain's 10 sexiest hotels the week before. So I had to have a little sit down in reception because there was uh, several things on sale which... um, you, you, you could, Carl, put this better than me. I told you what I saw when I went in there. You could buy pleasure. Uh, romance options, I think is the best way. Romance options, that's a better way of putting it. Yeah, romance options. Yeah, th- it was for very open-minded people in that reception, <laughs> and all I wanted was a pint to check in, and I was still writing, writing non-stop, and I just sat down and had a pint, and I just wanted a pint by myself, and then four lads, Manchester United fans from Chesterle Street, so I think that, I think you class that as Geordie's. Uh, famous for being the owner of Brian Robson and prefab sprout. Well, near there. And I just spoke to them and they told me about their day out and I just went to bed and obviously the hotel was very sensual. But... I just I had six hours sleep and was up the next morning walking through Bethnal Green. So you had a good sleep? I, I had I had a good six hours, but I think I was running on, on adrenaline. I had a 7am deadline, it was non-stop, but my overriding feeling was I was absolutely buzzing because Manchester United had won, won a trophy. I had a really good day on Sunday. Totally different to most of my mates because they ate the beers all day and we were obviously working, but I, I loved it and took a few days to come down off the high. In fact, going into the West Ham Cup game, I was still tired from Sunday, and I'd not even played a game of football. So you could feel maybe maybe why they were deflated. I spoke to a, a mate of mine, Ant, who you know, Ian, and he said when he got back to Manchester, he felt he'd been hit by a spade. <laughs> he'd just been on it all day. <laughs> he said he felt like death warmed up on the Monday after the match, and there were probably a few sore heads on on Monday from the Manchester United fans who went to Wembley.
3: Yeah, they all needed a bit of solo time in the Mama Shelter to recuperate, certainly, didn't they? No wonder Andy was buzzing <laughs> after that. Emphasis on buzzing. Um, right, let's talk about the West Ham game, like you mentioned. Before the match, actually, there was a lovely presentation to Casimiro and Mary Earps for getting in the FIFA best, uh, the men's and, and women's equivalent as well. But Mary Earps, Carl... What a fantastic speech she gave as well um, at the awards ceremony. This is for anyone who has ever been in a dark place. Just know that there's light at the end of the tunnel. Keep going. You can achieve anything that you set your mind to. Wow. Congratulations, Mary.
1: She said, uh, sometimes success looks like this, collecting trophies. Sometimes it's just waking up and putting one step in front of the other. There's only one of you in the world, and that's more than good enough. Be unapologetically yourself. Boom. She is a remarkable football player at Manchester United are very grateful to have her. So signed from Wolfsburg, incredible Euros as the goalkeeper there uh, and has been a key part of Mark Skinner's slow climb to this maybe possibly title race that we're seeing in the Women's Super League as well. Just uh, a remarkable representative of Manchester United and Manchester United's teams. And uh, yeah, it was a very quick presentation with her walking out uh, in her uh, civilian gear and Casemiro in his tracksuit bottoms because they had to also you know, parade the Carabao Cup and also Sir Alex Ferguson had to give David De Gea a hug for 181 clean sheets. Hard work, isn't sheets. It? Enjoying yourself. It is hard work. Yeah. It's good. It's good when you're at the top now, isn't it? Um, but yeah, absolutely. Thank you to Mary for everything she said and everything she's done for Man United Women's Team.
2: It was a brilliant speech and I think it applies to everyone. At times, life can be very tough and she talked about being in a dark place and, you know, I've been in one the night before, room 243 at a Mama shelter, so it was nice <laughs> to see that the following day. But I get the sentiment of what she was saying, never give up, be true to yourself. And good that she's getting the award, Casimiro as well. Lots of awards flying about at the moment.
3: Yeah, lots of awards and lots of success, like you mentioned, Carl, for Manchester United, including making it through to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. Um we say often that Eric Ten Hag doesn't rotate much, but was it six changes in the end for the, for the game? It was needed, certainly, after all the excitement of, of Barca and Newcastle. Um, but it did make for a quite laboured performance at times. Is that fair?
1: Six changes in the starting eleven from that of the League Cup final. Yeah, it was a very lethargic first half. It was uh, a hint of the 2019s. So you had your old, your old problems in terms of ball progression, the central midfield partnership with Scott McTominay and Marcel Sabitzer didn't quite work, and Garnacho because Garnaccio and Anthony both want to cut inside, and about their courses not the quickest, there was just sort of a a clog in and around certain areas of the penalty or uh, in the penalty box as well. So that needs to get sorted out. I think from now on, Ten Hag will probably play. At least two of Luke Shaw, Lisandro Martinez and Casemiro were never possible. Luke Shaw couldn't play because he has a small injury. Uh, I believe he's, he had ice on his shin all, all after Sunday. But if those three are in there, then you should be able to get the ball from A to B pretty good. When those three aren't in the starting lineup, then it gets a bit uncomfortable.
3: Yeah, that's an issue for United, isn't it? Because the, the number of games is remarkable. It's in your article, Carl, that's on The Athletic, just, just how challenging this period has been for Manchester United with all the different competitions. They've played more matches than anyone. They've won more matches than anyone, which is which is the best thing to know, Andy. Um, but it you do worry that it might catch up with them at some point, but the way they finished that match, there's no sign of it just yet.
2: I was worried watching that game because I thought for, for 70 minutes, Manchester United looked like it was after the Lord Mayor's show and we were going out the FA Cup and I was thinking this will be the second time in in two seasons that West Ham have knocked Manchester United out of a domestic cup competition at Old Trafford. I was really impressed by West Ham, actually. When you're making that many changes, it's very difficult to keep up the momentum. You look can look at it two ways. The players who do get a chance should seize the opportunity, but players will tell you you can't just switch a button and expect to be playing with the confidence of someone who's playing every week in a in a winning machine. It's not a machine when you take out that many parts of it. And I was disappointed with the way several of the players played in the first half. But to the credit, those late surges as Manchester United pushed for an equaliser was reminiscent of great teams of the past. And to score those three goals in the last 13 or 14 minutes, a couple of magical moments. Garnacho was the best. He was probably man of the match. I thought Casimiro made a big difference when he came on you just see right there how much of a an upgrade with respect to the other players he is. But with respect to the other players, the, the two loan signings have been needed because there are so many matches. You need them to come in and do the part and to work hard because if not, Manchester United would have probably looked even more drained. You're going into that game after Barcelona, after the, the uh, victory at Wembley, you've got to think about the small matter of Liverpool at the weekend, it is non-stop. And Eric Ten Hag probably made more changes for that match than any other game. And I was thinking, we're not getting away with this. But then I looked at Manchester United's home form. It is absolutely incredible. Since that defeat, weird defeat, weird penalty, weird night, the Queen had died a few hours earlier against Real Sociedad in, uh, in September. I've never seen home form like it. Just win, 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 win. Little draw against Newcastle, who deserved it. Leeds United uh, got the draw as well, but th- there are a couple of trends. There. You know, Barcelona went ahead at Old Trafford. West Ham went ahead at Old Trafford. So Manchester United are surging back, scoring quite a lot of goals. Buzzing we went through, obviously drawn at home in the next round, par for the course. <laughs> Fulham, but I-, I felt I just felt a bit drained a bit flat around West Ham because I just think there's been so many matches and it's not going to stop. Got to be in it to win it and Manchester United are absolutely in it at the
3: moment. I thought you were going to break out into a bit of DJ Khaled in the middle of that <laughs> then, Andy.
2: All they do is win, win, win. They never stop.
3: <laughs> I don't expect um, you to know that. You know you know, DJ Khaled, right?
2: In <laughs> DJ Khaled. Manchester Is that what he's called, right? Manchester United played in Rio in 2000.
3: And I don't heard a song, tell me you've got a DJ Khaled anecdote to just squeeze in it.
2: There's no happy ending to this. I heard a song on Copacabana Beach, and it was coming out at the back of this big ghetto blasters mounted to the back of um, like a van. It's one of the best songs I've ever heard in my life. And this was a time before the internet, before Shazam and everything. When I got back, I I rang this lady who I knew, Jill Pearson, she's a big United fan, and said, you've got to get me this song. And she said, what does it go like? So I had to sing it to her. All I knew was DJ Khaled, and I've never heard it to this day. DJ Khaled. Khaled. Is it Khaled or Khaled? He says his name was on... Was he around in 2000? No.
1: He, he says his name on every song. DJ
2: Khaled. All he does is win. Maybe there's an artist called Khaled. Maybe. It was... Well, I can still remember the song. What was it? That's how good it was. What was the song? I'm not going to sing it. I mean, you have no, to I'm now. I'm not going to sing it. The listeners will get it for you. Now, I, can't, I, can't. I, I know they will. Let me just try and find it somehow. But yeah, I had it in my mind it was Khalid. I'll give you a moment to think about that. Um oh, you, you can't set me up. Why you think about
1: apparently. that, Andy, I will say when it when Alan Shearer pulled the ball out of the hat and said Manchester United will be at home in the FA Cup quarter final, I got a lot of tweets <laughs> saying get Andy Mitten to work
2: out the odds of this happening for the
1: tenth time in a row.
2: Yeah, it's the tenth time. I, I ain't no mathematician, trust me. So there's a bit of a sub-argument going on between people who know the stuff, and I'm not one of them, whether it the odds are 1,023 to 1 of it happening or 1,024 of it happening. I've got bookmakers telling me one thing. I've got mathematicians telling me another. There's some really, really intelligent Manchester United fans. They probably don't know how to buy a tin of beans in a shop, but they can work out these really complex, well, complex to me.
3: But it's mad, isn't it? 10 consecutive home draws If United now continue in the Europa League I can't remember what the exact figure was but they will have almost played as many cup games at Old Trafford this season as they have played league games uh, which just seems absolutely crazy uh, that 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 can happen especially with the extra game of the last um, I was going to call it the last 32 it was the playoff round wasn't it of the Europa League that seems to change every year Just to bring it back to last night, actually, Alejandro Garnacho's character to come back from disappointment is really, really, really encouraging me and impressing me. For an 18-year-old kid, the way he bounces back from poor performances or poor moments in games, poor halves in games, whatever it might be, I mean... For a lot, of, a lot of young lads, to not get on the pitch even at Wembley at the weekend would have been a huge disappointment. But to react to that by scoring a last-minute winner at Old Trafford just a few days later, especially after having not a brilliant first half by all accounts either, um, but to take the initiative, to be brave, to be challenging uh, against West Ham late in the game when United needed to come back from, from a goal down, to produce that moment as well, there's talent there, definitely, but the spirit and, and the the confidence, the self-confidence is really encouraging Carl, isn't it? And that, that's my favourite thing about him, including his, his lovely Justin Bieber blonde mop. Although Slim Shady, I think some of the fans behind me were calling him at Wembley at the weekend. It's quite funny, isn't it?
1: I also enjoy it when a striker does something like that that makes them just more readily identifiable. For ages, when I was watching Manchester derbies and Zinchenko and De Bruyne were both playing, it was just quite annoying to go, which one's which? But now Garnaccio's on that. I'm like, oh, great. That's Garnacho. I got that sorted. I know where he is off the ball. Boom, boom, boom. I am reluctant to say Garnacho has it. I am now going to say he has something special, if that makes sense, in terms of...
3: Oh, I think he's got it. I'm willing to say that. There you go. I was saying that after the (laughs) FA Youth Cup final, when he just sort of rose to that occasion. And he'd been brilliant already to that point in the competition last season and at youth level. But he's doing it in the first team now.
1: I said this after the Manchester derby earlier this season, that he's never seen a defender he doesn't want to run at. He just keeps going. And the first half, that was annoying. He was overplaying the ball. There was one point, I'd say midway through, where he's cut inside and Bruno Fernandes is waving his arms out in, on the edge of the opponent area. You know, just pass it to him. Have, let Bruno have a go. But the moment he cuts inside, you're like, oh, Garnett's just going to have a shoot. And he might need to wean himself off of that. But he had two or three bits in the second half, especially where if another player who had that sort of first half would stop running out the defender and he just kept going. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I like about him is because he keeps going, he's going to get clattered, but he doesn't let it phase him. Ten Hag seems to get quite animated where someone does clatter Garnacho. Uh, there was one possible penalty incident that I think started from the outside of the penalty area. Uh, Ten Hag was furious. Then there was a free kick. and Ten Hag was furious again because Garnacho got fouled. And that gave away to, to Casemiro's offside goal. And that's the sort of thing Garnacho does. He's really good taking the ball out of the air. There were two or three instances, instances at West Ham where the ball comes up and he just goes, good, got it.
3: The touch for the goal.
1: Yes, he's got that down on lock. And the way he can manoeuvre his hips, and he's he's not lightning fast, but he's got a very good change of pace, means that he's always going to be able to get out that little bit of space to have a shot. And when your shots are as good as that goal, happy
2: days. He's something special. I think consistency will come with age. Every young player is inconsistent. There's times when he looks better coming off the bench, does really well, and then he earns a start and is a little bit underwhelming. But you're right to mention that touch before the goal. That was a moment of Absolute class. And to do it at a really important point during the match as well. He's been a big plus from this season. I was a little bit worried where Manchester United would be. You're not allowed to play Mason Greenwood, for example. Jaden Sancho's been um, up, down, up. And he has really filled the gap. The, the winning goal at Fulham was a massive fill-up just before the World Cup final. I was thinking earlier, look where United are now compared to one year ago. There was that draw at Old Trafford, a 0-0 draw against Watford, a Watford team who were on the way to relegation, who'd put four past Manchester United before Ollie lost his job. It was a terrible game. Everyone was so flat. Manchester United had been knocked out of European competition, the FA Cup, the League Cup. The derby was coming, that was a year ago, lost that game 4-1. Compare then to now. The turnaround has been absolutely massive. And we've often discussed the reasons why. But I was just struck, I just thought, I wonder where we were a year ago. And I thought, oh yeah, it was that Watford game. Fourth worst game in, in the history of football officially. <laughs> yeah, got voted fourth worst game ever. Trademarked it, I think. There's an award for it at the at the next <laughs> match on the pitch. Not had enough for awards. <laughs>
3: Right, well, if you want to read more about Manchester United's win over West Ham to make it through to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup, Carl's piece is on The Athletic right now. There's also yet more information on the takeover of Manchester United or the potential takeover with yet more background information uh, from Mark Critchley. Go and have a look at that piece as well. Remember, if you're not a subscriber, you can sign up now for £1.99 a month for a year. Just go to Athletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Right then, as if we've not had enough excitement over the last week or so, we're now going to Anfield or Manchester United are at least to face Liverpool and a Liverpool team who are not exactly in the best of moments either. Although they may have recovered a little bit just in time for our visit, but let's preview the game then on Sunday. Carl, um, how are you feeling about this?
1: I'm not supposed to say you, I'm confident. You know, I've had enough United fans say so you can't be confident before facing Liverpool because form goes out the of window, of blah, blah blah blah. But
3: are you confident? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What gives you the confidence?
1: That power triangle of Casemiro, Rafael Varane and Alessandro Martinez gives me strength in a way that I look at Liverpool, particularly in their midfield and how they get the ball from A to B. And I just think Casemiro and another football player should give them a good old battle. And also, you know, I mean, Fred's scoring goals now. And as Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said, if Fred can score, anyone can score.
3: Yeah, he's not quite the figure of fun that he was in the goal-scoring stakes, is he now, with his numbers the best, I think, for nine Six seasons goals. or ten seasons, maybe?
2: Six goals since the in- return of the World Cup.
3: That's crazy, the, the isn't pr- it?
2: The problem is, there's no Stretford end at Anfield. That's where he scores. It's true. Or the Stret, Stret Fred end, as somebody said to me. Oh, nice. Which I quite like. That's <laughs> good work. Well, if Fred scored at, at the Cop, wow. i am been scarred by too many visits to Anfield where... I just don't think Manchester United will win. Last year was horrific studying that away and Liverpool scored four. Manchester United held out for about three and a half minutes at the start of the match.
3: I think that was the lowest moment for me of oh. last season. I think the away defeat was even worse than the home defeat, actually. Just because you just sort of expected it really, didn't you? The City home game as well was bad, but the Liverpool away game, it was like lambs to the slaughter.
2: It was awful and they were good and I thought that they would be competing for the title this year. I'm I'm really surprised that they're not, that they're, they're 10 points behind Manchester United. I still check where they are in the league table, I'll be honest, because I know that there's a lot of good players there. I know they've got a good manager and even, every time they win a game, I go, oh, that, that means you only have to... They're only ten points behind Manchester United, but that victory at Old Trafford in August was hugely significant. It was needed because United had a terrible start to the season. It was needed because it was against Liverpool's big surprise. But the mood going into that match, I mean, there were protests everywhere, and there are still protests now. But when Jadon Sancho scored the goal, not that I saw it because I was stuck outside in the protests, which were all passing by. I think that set off Manchester United for for this season and showed that Liverpool. Are not quite as indomitable as maybe some of the fans thought they were. They, they reached a Champions League final last year. And I I'd probably take a draw at Anfield on on Sunday now. Probably. But as Carl says, and as you both say, Manchester United are good enough to go there and and, and to beat them. I'm just stunned that we're ten points ahead of Liverpool in the league.
3: Well, yeah, and and a draw, actually, from that perspective, is a is a good result, isn't it? Um but I suppose the, the form of United. I mean, you, you mentioned about that the, the spine or the triangle, whatever. Were how did we, How did I you call the
1: triangle about? of Casemiro, Martinez, and, the and triangle? Of Iran. Yeah,
3: that's the, that's the best way.
1: I said this after League Cup. I said that trio, whoever your front three is, as an opponent, like, you're going to have a real tough time trying to get the ball into the penalty area when those three are ahead of you. So then you've got to go out wide, and if Luke Shaw's fit, that means one options a lot harder to do, which means you've got to go run down the right side. So, and that means you know, every now and again, now Wan going to come down and give you the clamps. So, see, I'm confident. I should stop talking.
3: <laughs> yeah, th- their midfield has, has changed a lot. Um, Jurgen Klopp's tried his best to sort of find a formula there, and it's not seemed to, to settle on one. Um, it was a totally different midfield last night against Wolves than it was against Crystal Palace. So it'll be interesting to see who he selects there. Another interesting aspect to this, Andy, as well. It, it's buried in the narrative of, of everything, really, but. Liverpool have potentially got two players in the front line against Manchester United who could have been lining up on the opposite side if things had been a little bit different this weekend. Darwin Nunez, who I'm still convinced is going to be really good, but he just seems to be missing that last bit where he he puts the ball in the back of the net, but... He's he's had some brilliant moments for Liverpool so far this season. Let's hope he doesn't produce one of those on Sunday. And Cody Gakpo as well, who's had a, a quiet start to life in English football. Um, he scored a couple of goals recently and, and improved from what he was showing at the start. But that is an interesting dynamic, isn't it? Th- these two going up against United. Reeve van Nistelrooy might have something to say about it.
2: Not quite the clamour from people saying, oh, we should have signed Nunes and Cody Gakpo, is there? That there was at the time. Uh, I remember speaking to Manchester United at the time of the Darwin Nunes thing, when the word out of Portugal was that Liverpool had beaten Manchester United to the signing, and I got an emphatic that is not true. We asked about him, as we do lots of players. We didn't bid for him. Uh, Gapco is a little bit different. Liverpool stats are remarkably similar to Manchester United in terms of goals scored and against in the league. United have scored forty-one. Liverpool have scored forty. United have conceded 28. Liverpool have conceded 28.
1: That's so, that's really surprising isn't it? I know. It helps when you put nine past Bournemouth though. I'll be an oink and say that.
3: True, <laughs> and and our conceded probably helps that we conceded 10 in matches against City and Brentford I suppose, but still.
2: But it's still interesting, isn't it? It's worthy. Yeah. Of, of note. I'm just aware of the cage tiger sometimes with them and I know that they feel exactly the same whenever they play Manchester United. I'm not going to drop into the cliche that form does go out the window, but it is a different game. They're the two biggest teams in English football. But they
3: never seem to both face one another when both sides are flying, do they? Or or if they do, it it happens very, very rarely.
2: I don't think there's ever been a full-on title race between Manchester United and Liverpool. Imagine how much broadcasters and fans would love that around the world. Because as you say... One is usually a lot stronger than the other. One's going through a recuperation phase. Even when Liverpool have finished second to Manchester United, they were always quite a good way off. We've never had that sort of, into the last two games, Manchester United against Liverpool.
3: In the way that it's been Liverpool and City, Liverpool and Arsenal, United and Arsenal, United and Chelsea, whoever, yeah.
2: And they are the two biggest English teams by a distance. You can make... Your figures look exactly how you want to make them. But Manchester United and Liverpool are by a distance the two biggest um, English clubs. It's I can see some of their fans wobbling. I can see the same divisions among their fans and the same demographics that you see among Manchester United fans. You see people calling their owners out and I see a lot of people I'd class as hardcore Liverpool fans going, wait a minute, wait a minute, the last five years have been absolutely brilliant. Don't be so impatient. So there's lots of side issues there. I see online cranks trying to organise protests outside Anfield on the Walton Brett Road, but they've got no standing or traction in real life, and no one turns up at these protests. So it's an interesting time for them. And the United fans will be standing in a stand where, if you look above, you'll see a massive new stand going above the Anfield Road. That's going to boost the capacity up to 61,000. They've done a lot right. In terms of developing the ground I know he took time to do it but I think they're a well positioned club I and mean, Kl- Klopp's have not having a great season and I was stunned to see Real Madrid score 5 at Anfield found it hilarious sorry <laughs> but we've been there, we've been there very recently oh, it would be great if Manchester United could win there it'd be absolutely brilliant yeah yeah I totally agree with
1: with, with Andy this Liverpool are in that transitional season I don't think they they expected it but anyone writing them off and saying they're not going to be there or thereabouts in the top four there or thereabouts in the Champions League um, in the title race next season bit hasty Um, I I think Jürgen Klopp is still a spectacular football manager I think everyone at Liverpool understands where the area of weakness is and they have ideas as to how to fix that Uh, so That's good for Liverpool coming back. But also the fun thing, if you're Manchester United, is Eric Den Haag is also a very good manager. And Eric Den Haag probably has been looking at a lot of footage of the space that uh, a certain fullback vacates and going, Right then, Marcus Rashford, here's how you run into that and get yourself a goal, just like in 2018. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, The thought Andy just said there about a Liverpool-Manchester United title race week to week, that would make me quite nervous and nauseous if that ever happened. You ever have those games where you're going, oh, that'd be quite nice. And you think about it, oh no, I wouldn't want, uh, you know, the, the idea of a Manchester United-Liverpool Champions League final would make me quite sick in the in the, in the the lead up to it. I'd be so nervous.
3: <laughs> I have to admit, I was listening to the radio earlier on and they were talking about the prospect of an all-Manchester FA Cup final. Oof. And even that didn't make me feel very good. No. Um, I've got sort of bad memories of the 2011 semi-final at Wembley and everything that happened from that point almost. Um, yeah. Th- there is something about not wanting to go head-to-head with your biggest rivals in big games like that.
1: It gives you the shakes because you can't enjoy it. And even when you win, all you can do is just have like a big exhale, like, fine, glad that's over.
2: No, a United City FA Cup final, they'll probably move it to Old Trafford because <laughs> United play all the game. But no, nah, and, and you, you're right to mention that game in 2011. Berbatov's missing that. But I can remember just being on Wembley Way before the match and... There's a lot of, you know, ill feeling between two sets of fans. Liverpool being absolutely dreadful started to cost me money. And that's a concern to my family in putting food on the table because I was booked to go to Madrid for the second leg of the game. Right. Everything was planned. Absolutely want you there. (laughs) They cancelled you. They cancelled me. (laughs) Like, we don't need you. The tie's over. (laughs) So, them protests. I'm going to organise my own (laughs) protest at Anfield on Sunday. (laughs) Them scoring five. I was actually watching the game in a Catalan radio station, because it was a couple of nights before United Barca last week and they invited me in. And just to see Catalans watching Real Madrid absolutely batter Liverpool was really interesting because I wanted the opposite to happen. And they were like, oh no, Madrid are good. Oh no, Madrid are really good. Oh no, we're playing them three times this month. And I'm like laughing alone because Liverpool are getting hammered. And then the next day, yeah, we're, we're probably not going to need you to go to the Bernabeu. <laughs> oh no, gutted. A Liverpool that bad that I don't even know, need to go and cover him. But I'll go to Real Betis the day after. There's a silver lining. That's not bad, is it?
1: I heard more than one Barcelona fan watch that game and watch Real Madrid play really good. And they had the same thought. Oh, God, no. We have got a Clasico and Real Madrid are in good form. And then I heard one other Barcelona fan say, actually, in a Clasico, it's more advantageous to be the underdog. Uh, so there you go. No matter what derby it is, you believe in momentum and reverse momentum as well.
3: Just one last thing to reflect on them with Liverpool. we mentioned before on the podcast about just how many matches Manchester United have got at the moment. Well, actually, over the course of the season, if they end up getting to the final of the FA Cup and the Europa League, like we hope, it would mean that they've played 65 matches in all competitions. They have once played more, which was back in 08-09 when they played 66. That's when they got to the Champions League final. They won the League Cup. Uh, They also played in the Club World Cup and the Super Cup, which is why that number was so big. But in terms of a cautionary tale, Liverpool played in 63 matches last season. They won the League Cup. They won the FA Cup. They got beaten in the final of the Champions League. But it seemed to have a big effect on the squad heading into this season. And on Jurgen Klopp as well, Carl, Is it a bit of a warning that for United to be careful what you wish for?
1: A little bit. Um, you know, it's not just United fans, but also Ajax fans going. I told you, Ten Hag really doesn't like rotating. But I think what's happened, what happened with Liverpool last season was not only they played loads of football, but their core of players had also reached their sort of late 20s apex and whatnot, playing high-press and heavy metal football. Fabinho in particular got a really big got an injury in May. When he came back, he looked the shadow of himself and hasn't really kicked on since.
3: Are you saying it's just an excuse then, Ka?
1: I No, I think Liverpool played a lot of football and also have absolutely rotten luck in terms of injuries, and that's what did them at the service. Whereas I can't see United playing... 60-plus games, losing one of the best players in their front three, also losing all their central midfielders, also having their best centre defender get injured, and then also have a problem with their fullbacks.
3: (laughs) Touch wood. Yes, thank you for doing that.
2: I think it's a fair point, Ian. Uh, I I think that this Manchester United team is not fully completed. I think the manager would, would say that in private. I remember speaking to somebody after the Barcelona... Um, a way draw and the person saying to me, yeah, yeah, we've, we've still got some way to go in terms of, you know, we still need three or four players. And I just wonder if an injury to somebody like Casemiro, I, mean, I think we saw evidence of that in the first half against West Ham, Manchester United are significantly weaker. There's still a lot of football left to play. If you look at the league table, we've still only played 24 matches. And got all these Europa League... Matches, hopefully, if we get through against uh, Real Betis. Best case scenario, when's Christian Eriksen back? April. I remember that was the the date given at the time. End of April. End of April. Well, this season goes on until June. The FA Cup final's in June this year. So, you know, it it, it could come on against City, score the header in the last minute. It's going to be well into June (laughs) when that actually happens. Eric Tenagis is, if anything, overachieving. Fourth place in a trophy will do me for this season. But of course I'm a football fan, I'm an idiot, and you want even more and more and more. What to be at the FA Cup final to see Ericsson come back to score the header against Manchester City. Want to be in Budapest. Still haven't totally given up on the league title.
3: <laughs> Not again.
2: <laughs> well well, yeah. Ten percent chance of it happening. You're
3: saying there's a chance. There's a chance. <laughs> Carl, uh,
2: before we wrap up, I was just going to say a nice
1: thing about Vercoe's because. Oh yeah. Why not? He 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 got what I called it, I called it a copper hat trick in the initial edit of the piece I did today on, on West Ham. So forced the header that scored the own goal to get United's first goal. His block shot led to Garnacho getting the second, and it was his pressing that led to Fred getting the third. So won't show up on any of the stat lines. I mean, at best, they'll show up as an assist for Garnaccio or maybe an assist for Fred, but yeah, that, w- that was good. Uh, Ten Hag said he was one of the best players on the pitch yesterday and he's really, really enjoying playing for Manchester United in that way of, ah, oh, good for you. You know you're probably
2: not going to be here for too long, but enjoy it. Keep working hard. Nice work. The first question to Valtveghorst on Sunday was, could you have foreseen this two months ago? And of course, he said no. It's like a dream coming true. But I looked at where he was just before he joined Manchester United. He was at Besiktas. He played in a away game at Geisen tap. I think I've pronounced it. Oh, I've done my best pronunciation of that. That's actually where the earthquake was recently. But in front of seven thousand people, he's sort of muddling along through games in the Turkish league, and then to go from that to coming off the pitch at Wembley and speaking to journalists with a red, white, and black. Manchester United
3: scarf around his head. What a moment. What a turnaround for the lad. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. And Val, you know the only way that you can top the day you had on Sunday with that scarf tied round your head, you can go and grab yourself the winner at Anfield at the Cop End this Sunday. That's the only way it can get better. But Andy, Carl, we're gonna leave it there. Thank you so much for being with us on Talk of the Devils as always. Thank you for listening at home as well. And thank you again for all the lovely messages that you sent us over the last few days. We really appreciate it. Remember, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic and you want to know more about some of the articles we've been speaking about today, you can subscribe now at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod and take advantage of that offer of £1.99 a month for a year when you join now. But for the moment, thanks for listening and we'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. Athletic.